Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Padney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. Hello, Chris. How are you going? I'm not too bad. I've got a bit of a cough, so uh, I'll apologise in advance for any coughing and spluttering that uh, might get recorded during our podcast. Well, I'm kind of in the opposite situation because I'm away on holiday at the moment. I'm down in Basselton, about two and a half hours drive south of Perth, really enjoying myself. But this is how dedicated I am to Focal Point that I made sure that we are still doing our recording. Presumably you're doing this recording from beside the pool or at the bar, Gihan? <laughs> almost, almost. I can see the pool outside my window and I might go there straight afterwards. <laughs> Excellent. We'll make it a quick one then. <laughs> well, the the topic we're going to talk about is is based on a news article that... I spotted in the Sydney Morning Herald, it was August the 20th, so a couple of weeks ago, a a school in Sydney, the Presbyterian Ladies College at Croydon, is doing something quite interesting with the internet. They're allowing their students to cheat. Very good. I bet that pleases the students. (laughs) Yes. In fact, what they're doing is something that I've I've thought that schools should be doing for a long time. This teacher, Deidre Coleman, who's the, the dean of students in year seven to nine, is doing something for her year nine English students, where she's allowing them in exams to access the internet or use their mobile phone or use other resources which have previously been disallowed or not allowed in exams. So it's taking the open book exam to the next level, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's the same idea as the open book exam, and I guess it's the same principle behind it, which is that it's not so much the information and the knowledge and what you've memorized that's important, but the way that you can apply it and express it in a way that is a persuasive argument when you put it together. And in fact, that is in fact what they're being tested on. So Deirdre Coleman says that they're being assessed not so much on what they know about a topic like the Olympics, but but on how persuasively they can put an argument together around that topic. Yeah, I, I, when you sent this article to me, Gihan, I thought it was a very positive and encouraging step because we've often talked about and wondered about how schools are educating students to make use of the internet uh, now that it's become so widely available. Yes, and I think the the word that you used was heartening. It was a heartening news item, and I, and I agree that so often the education system is seen as being a bit backwards and um, not progressive enough, and this is an example of where they are actually doing something very progressive, very progressive and very positive. Mind you, the very next day, the Sydney Morning Herald, the same writer, wrote another article about the Australian Council of State School Organisations, which represents parents and citizens around the country, warning about this and saying, you know, this is a good idea and maybe it should be a separate topic that's studied in school, like how to use the internet and how to do research online. But it's dangerous to, to allow students to, to use it in exams because sooner or later they're going to get, get to an exam where they won't be allowed to do that and they'll have to rely on rote learning and their memory. Yeah, that, that's a fairly good point. But I would say, but I'd also say the better point that's, that's made by that spokesperson is that having some part of the curriculum that focuses on teaching students how to use the internet to find credible and useful and reliable information sources is something that really does need to be done. Yes, and I think you and I would both say that the the solution is not one or the other, it's to do both. So, exactly. so, so knowledge is important, uh, knowing things is important, but equally it's important to know how to access things that you don't know. That's right. So giving unfettered access to the internet um, is perhaps a dangerous thing unless the students go armed with being able to 
apply critical thinking when they're using information sources that are online. Exactly. And I was speaking to my sister, Iomi, who's a primary school teacher, and I was telling her about this news article, and she said, look, that's really good. That's really good. Kids need to know how to use the, how to use the internet effectively to find information, and she would encourage that even in primary schools. So, Gihan, for those of us who aren't going through uh, the education system and don't have the benefit of uh, progressive education, what are some of the tips and tricks we can uh, point out to our listeners so that they can make use of the internet. Well, I think this is this is good, Chris, because it leads into the main topic that we're going to talk about. As soon as you get out of school, like the the thing that in schools has been previously been called cheating, is considered legitimate research, and the skills of being able to find, of being able to get access to experts, is is a very valuable skill. So we thought we'd make this podcast about, uh, it's kind of like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, where you get these three lifelines, and two of them are phone a friend and ask the audience. So in, in one of them, the phone a friend is where you can ask individual experts uh, for their opinion, for their answer to the question, and the ask the audience is where you get the collective intelligence and the collective wisdom um, to answer your questions. And you know, there are places on the internet where you can do both of them. And I'm sure you've done both, Chris. That's right, absolutely. So why don't we start with the phone friend concept? Uh, yes, certainly. I, I remember, in fact, let me, let me take you back over 20 years now when you and I were, were studying honours, Chris. When we were doing our honours degree, I was very interested in artificial intelligence, as, as you were in your area. And one of the things I was particularly interested in was computers playing games because uh, games have fairly fixed rules, so it's fairly easy to program computers to, to follow the rules. And I was particularly interested in computer backgammon. And the, the guy who was the, the pioneer in this area was Dr. Hans Berliner. And I remember doing the – actually, I did the Ask the Audience thing first. I went to an internet forum, which was about artificial intelligence in computer games. And I asked this question about – and I said something like, you know, Hans Berliner says this in one of his papers. Can you please explain this and what does it mean? And a couple of people replied to me, and one of them said, well, why don't you just email Dr. Berliner? Here's his email address. And this was in 1988, so you can imagine at that time, there was no World Wide Web. There wasn't internet, so you and I were using email and internet discussion forums. But it's quite a novel idea that you'd be able to just email some academic on the other side of the world and get a response, and that's exactly what I did. And Mr. Oh, Dr. Berliner's response was? I don't remember the exact response, but he certainly did answer my question. Um, and it was the first time that I, really, that I realized how powerful the Internet was to be able to reach across the world and to actually create a smaller world. That's right. So when it comes to phoning a friend, Kihan, things like email are obvious first steps, aren't they? Whether it's people's email addresses that you come across in print or on articles that you read online or... Um, if you come across an interesting blog, usually you can contact uh, the blog, the blog's author, uh, through the through, through the blogging page. I think the blogging thing is an is an interesting one, Chris, because it's certainly become more popular in the last few years. That is not just technical people, so it's not just academics who have access to blogs, but it's anyone. And you see more and more academics blogging, certainly, but you also see journalists and reporters blogging, you see celebrities blogging, and in a lot of cases, you can just reply to their blogs and get a response. Now, there are, there are web pages also, Gihan, where you can go and uh, seek expert advice. Um, one of the ones that uh, we've come across but is no longer operating is Google's Answers website, answers.google.com. I didn't um, know that wasn't operating anymore. 
Yeah, they, they, they're closed. I think it's been for more than a year now that um, they're no longer operating for whatever reason. Uh, now, one of the others that has been around for a while, and it's one that, I've, that is still around, I know, is about.com. So about.com is a, is a website which gives you information about all sorts of things, from internet marketing to business to scrapbooking, so a, a number of areas. And the way they work is clearly it can't be one person managing their entire website because they're talking about such diverse topics, but they, they have an expert in each area. And in fact, one of my clients was the, from Canada was the expert for the small business area on about.com, which meant that people could ask him questions and equally he would be sending out articles and information regularly. Right, okay. So that leads us into perhaps a, a similar website where you got where the same sort of process of just starting up a page where you're the expert um, uh, without any real vetting process is squidoo.com. So as the, as the Squidoo front page says, you're, everyone's an expert on something. And so if you've got a particular area of interest, you can set up a Squidoo page where you're the expert for Yes, in fact, Squidoo was set up by Seth Godin, who's a well-known marketing expert and quite an innovative marketing expert. And he has this, so on Squidoo, it's called a lens. So you, if you're an expert on a topic, you consider to have a lens on that topic. And what you do is you bring together all the information on that topic. And you don't even have to write any of it yourself, but your expertise is in bringing together information that's, that's useful and relevant and meaningful. Okay. And you put me on to, Chris, uh, something that Google had been doing for a while and has now launched, which is the Google version of Squidoo. Which is null, spelled K-N-O-L, short for knowledge, uh, null.google.com. And it's a bit like Wikipedia, Gihan, in that um, anyone can sort of set up a, a page on a particular topic. The topics are called knolls. And... Um, the difference there is that you become like a registered expert and then all of the content is kind of controlled by the expert in the particular topic that they've chosen. So it has a, a little more control to it than something like Wikipedia, which is more of a free-for-all. Yes, and uh, the, the talk on the internet as, as Noel was being built and talked about initially before it was launched was that the reason Google did it was because they would rely on Wikipedia in the past and quite often if you search Google you'll find a Wikipedia result coming up near the top uh, but, they, but they obviously don't control Wikipedia so they decided to create in, in effect an equivalent of Wikipedia which is where Noel came from. Maybe that's why um, answers.google.com has um, ceased to be Gihan because uh, Google switched their efforts on uh, group knowledge to null.com, null.google.com. You're right. You're right. That would be an interesting speculation and uh, probably very plausible. One of the things that uh, Noel uses also is a rating system. So you can get a, an idea of the what other people, uh, how other people have rated uh, the information provided by an expert on Noel by uh, the, the group ratings that, uh, that they get. Which is, again, tapping into the, something that we've talked about for a long time, isn't it, Chris, where you actually rely on the, the collective to, to assess and to judge rather than leaving it to a, a few experts or moderators to be keeping an eye on everything. You just let the, you let the, the users decide which is valuable and which is not. That's, that's right. So in the context of finding reliable information on the internet, that's one of the, the sorts of things that helps you to assess the credibility of a particular bit of information because with things like about.com and, and these various other sites, any so-called expert can set up a page um, and 
whether the information that they provide is accurate or reliable is, is a different matter. So the collective assessment of uh, a piece of knowledge uh, helps to guide you in determining uh, a bit of information's credibility. Definitely, and I'd recommend for anyone who'd like to know a bit more about that to go back and listen to a podcast about a safety in numbers, which is a phrase that you used, Chris, to, um, to describe one way that you could determine the accuracy or the, the usefulness of information that you find online. Yeah, that's right. As you say, that's one way. Uh, just because a lot of people believe something doesn't mean it's true. And the other, the other tools at your disposal are things like uh, doing a bit of fact-checking, checking multiple sources. So maybe going to about.com, maybe going to Noel, maybe going to Squidoo and seeing what different experts have to say on the same matter. Yes. So while we're talking about this collective knowledge, Chris, so we've talked about the whole phone-a-friend idea, let's look at the, the, the collective thing, which is more like the Ask the Audience uh, it's almost a popularity contest. And just like in Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, the contestant can ask the audience for their opinion and can choose to accept or reject it. So sometimes you see somebody saying, well, I actually don't agree with the audience. Um, so what are some of the other tools that we use? We, you talked about Wikipedia. And do you want to touch on that again, Chris? Because I know it's one thing that you use quite a bit. Sure, yeah. Wikipedia is, is the obvious uh uh, most co- most popular example of that sort of thing. And again, as you say, it's a bit of a popularity contest in that if a, a topic has lots of people contributing to it um, and there are people with competing views, then sometimes that, that conflict uh, comes down to who has the, the most time and effort on their hands to put forward mm. with the particular view or agenda that, they, that they're pursuing. Yes, yes, that's right. And I remember reading uh, in one... Uh, one newspaper article, which was again talking about academics quoting Wikipedia, um, some organizations, some uh, universities don't allow Wikipedia to be quoted as a source simply because uh, the next day that source has been quoted might have, might have changed radically, whereas if you quote a published paper, that paper won't change, even though the, the thinking behind it might change in a subsequent paper. Right, okay, yeah. I think some of the tools at your disposal for assessing the credibility of Wikipedia pages are things like you can, if, if, if a topic is contentious, then often pages are flagged as having conflicting points of view. Uh, and you can also look at the discussion page that backs every Wikipedia page to see uh, where people are perhaps arguing about different points uh, that, are, that are put on the Wikipedia page. Yes. yes. Yeah. I guess the other thing about Wikipedia is, in a way, it's a bit of a passive resource because you don't go to Wikipedia and ask somebody a question. You actually tap into the answers that, that have already been provided, whereas there are a number of other sources where it is quite active. Uh, and actually, again, a personal story is that my brother, when he got married, or what was it, two years ago now, he and his fiance Catherine – they decided to get married when they were on holiday in Japan. Now, it wasn't a spur-of-the-moment decision. It was something they'd planned ahead of time. But they wanted to make sure that they could do it legally. So to make sure that everything was legal, they went to a website called uh, metafilter.com, ask.metafilter, M-E-T-A, filter.com, where you can ask all sorts of weird questions, and there are people who will answer them for you. And so they, so Lal went online to find out how to get legally married in Japan as an Australian citizen and um, have have the marriage legally recognised. And did uh, Lowell receive uh, good advice from metafilter.com? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, they got married. <laughs> they certainly did. You know, and, and, you know, it sounds like a fairly odd question, and yet that's exactly the sort of question that, that Metafilter answers. So I had a quick look, and one of the other questions that somebody had asked recently was about 
is it like, would you recommend if you want to if you're interested in attending a university course would you just go along and sit in sit in the classroom and sit in the lecture room and just listen um without being enrolled in the class and there are different points of view and so it, it's one of those things where you can ask you know, reasonably obscure questions and yet you'll get a number of opinions from different people Okay, that's interesting. I've not used Metafilter. I might start looking at that more more frequently. Well, it's the same sort of idea as the online forums, Chris, that you and I have been using for you know twenty years now. Um, before, well, while the internet was around, but before the World Wide Web was around, there were these online forums on on various topics, and they're still there, not in the same form as they were twenty years ago, but they're still there. Yeah, Usenet news groups uh, are what you're referring to, and and they were very popular back before the World Wide Web and really useful. But since the web has emerged, then uh, they've sort of, those kind of forums have switched from Usenet to the World Wide Web and now we have online forums, so bulletin boards they're sometimes called as well, uh, where groups of people with a specific interest get together and ask questions, discuss topics related to their particular area of interest. Yes, and even the old Usenet groups are available now, and I think Google bought them, so they're available under Google Groups. Uh, but if you're a Facebook member, you can join various online communities that talk about different topics. If you are in online dating sites, there are they have their own forums. In the First Step member community, we have our own forums. So it's it's actually become very easy now for for people to set up forums. And the challenge is to, as as a user, to find a forum that's active and has an, enough people contributing to it to make it useful to you as a user. That's right, Gihan. You're exactly right. Because there's this abundance of forums available now, what I often do is I'll start with Google and type in a few keywords for the the problem that I have to solve, and then uh, we'll go searching through the list for things that look like forums and then go and and then direct the question to the forum itself. Or maybe the answer is already has already been asked in that forum and and I've got the answer already. But these I find particularly useful for my day-to-day technical work, software development. Um, I'm often looking in forums for answers and if I can't find them, coming across an active forum and then posting a question there and invariably I get get an answer. Good, good. And I think that it might be useful for us to do a podcast in the future, Chris, about how to participate in forums because people who aren't familiar with it might get a little bit nervous about the fact that they're now live actively participating in something that lots of people have access to. So we'll probably do that um, in the near future. Absolutely. I find forums immensely useful, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will too. So some guidelines about how to participate uh, properly in forums is is going to be good advice. Good. Um, Any last words before we finish, Chris? Uh, Well, I think, uh, yeah, phoning a friend and um, asking the audience online uh, great ways of, of answering questions and solving particular problems. Um, and in particular, uh, using using online forums is is a good way to go. And I think if you if you haven't used them before, my advice would be to do what you did, what you suggested, Chris. Go to Google, type in some keywords for a question that you're asking, or even type in the question itself. See what comes up, and if it's an online forum, do what's called lurking. So just um, have a look. Don't necessarily contribute yet. Just see what sort of answers are being offered in that forum. See what else the forum is about and just get a feel for it. And probably in two weeks' time, Chris, that that might be a good time for us to do a podcast about online forums and and participating more actively. Excellent, Gihan. Sounds good. I look forward to it. We'll We'll speak soon. Speak to you then, Gihan. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. 
you can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues, or leave us your comments and questions. We look forward to having you back next time. <laughs>